You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everyone, John Wertheim here. Happy 2018, everyone. Thanks for uh, listening again. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. On a housekeeping note, we have Mary Carrillo coming on, and we will tee up the Australian Open. Interesting start to 2018. A lot of injuries and withdrawals, unfortunately, but they will still be holding a Grand Slam in a matter of days. Roger Federer, the defending champion, will be in the draw, so plenty of stories will hopefully cast a, a longer shadow than the injuries that so far have pocked this year. But today we have a different kind of guest. We are talking with Mark Leshley. That will be a familiar name to uh, inside tennis types, and this is a little in the weeds, but uh, it's, it's an interesting podcast. Mark is a successful college player at Harvard, has some ATP points, was selected to play for the Danish Davis Cup team. He then become a very successful venture capitalist and uh, figure in the finance world. And now he has launched UTR, which is a rating system. He will describe it, but it's sort of an algorithm-based rating system to come up with handicaps the way golf has. Any uh, any marriage of innovation and technology in tennis is, is a good thing as I see it. It'll be interesting to see the stickiness, as we say, of uh, of this product, but it's, a, it's certainly... Uh, it was a big announcement this week, and if you look at the, the board of directors, some heavy hitters are behind this um, this startup. Check out utrtennis.com, and Mark's going to explain it. As I, as I say early in the podcast, it perhaps would have been helpful if we'd had some, uh, some visuals to go with this. We could use a PowerPoint and probably would be a bit clearer, but Mark does a very nice job of uh, explaining what this ranking system isn't and what it is, universal tennis we're talking about. Uh, let's bring him on now, and uh, he can explain away this innovation. Universal Tennis CEO, Mark Leshley. All right. Hey, John. How are you? Happy New Year. You as well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Really well. Yeah. Congrats on UTR. I've. Uh, well, th- well, thank you. We, we probably should have used all of our high-tech resources and figured out a way to accompany this with graphics, but... Um, I feel like I should just like open this up and let you uh, sort of pretend this is the road show and uh, 
to <laughs> tell tell us what this is and uh, and why you're doing it. Yeah, no. So what it is from a from a pure um, rating system is that you know un- unlike many other rating systems out there, what this really does is it cover every player. So it's across every age, every geography, uh, and gender. And so it's an algorithm that allows everybody to be compared to everybody else. And so you can identify and measure and track players across the globe. We have over 600,000 players in 200 countries. We have over 600 million match results. And so the rating runs from 1 to 16 with two decimal places. Um, And what goes into the algorithm is basically the score of your games and the, the strength of your opponent, as well as the history of your matches. So it takes the last 30 matches over the last 12 months. And so now what we can do is we can now get everybody on the same standard, and you can compare yourself to both find new hits and new opportunities, as well as to track yourself relative to others. Um, and therein lies the opportunity then to make the game more accessible, open up play for everybody, uh, and for you to find new people to play with and break down those barriers that sort of exist in the game today, which typically tournaments and events are by age or you're segmented by gender or you're restricted by geography because you don't have access to each other. And so we're going to do all of that and bring in technology uh, in to, to make this more accessible for everybody. What, what do you mean by technology? So because we're going to enable you as an individual to be able to post your scores on a digital device, whether it's your phone or whether it's your desktop, we're going to allow you to go in there, post your scores in there. We're going to allow you to enter your zip code. We're going to allow you to be able to find other people to play with. Uh, And so think of this as being uh, today, there really isn't any technological platform in tennis. So there's no Uber, there's no Instagram, uh, there's no Match.com, there's no search database, there's no geo-mapping that exists around the game of tennis. You basically play in your club, you play in your community, uh, or wherever you may be associated, but it's really hard for you to reach out and connect with other people in your community to play tennis. And it's even harder for you to find people of comparable level. Right? So whether you're a junior in a particular geography and you say, gosh, you know, I only have three or four people to play with, I, I, I know that there are people of different gender and different age that are at my level, but I don't know who they are and I don't know how to connect with them. So that's what technology allows you to do. It allows you to say, gosh, if we can map those people, find out who they are, get them to post scores, um, then suddenly we can start breaking down those barriers and make the game more accessible. And now you can develop your game in a more capital-efficient manner. It's really expensive to become a tennis player today, right? And so that's, that's the opportunity here that we see. And, and, of course, that's an opportunity of why we're working with Tennis Channel, right, which is say, hey, look, now part of that is creating a power index on air that talks about the players and gives an incremental narrative about as an indicator of outcomes of matches because, as you're well aware, with ATP points or WTA points, those cycle off. Here what you have is you actually have a calibration of the competitiveness of a player. Okay, and so so something that that is an indicator of an outcome, and they'll highlight emerging players, they'll highlight trends, and it's math, as you know, John. So we can break it down, and you're familiar with power indexes and in other sports. So that's what we're doing at Tennis Channel. But but that is you know obviously just more narrative around the broadcast and the players. What it also does then is it creates a standard, a continuum from the beginner all the way up to the pro that allows you to compare and talk about yourself. And the super analogy we have here is golf. I was going to say, the, today, the, the handicap yeah, the anal- is the obvious exactly. one, Exactly. Right? You have an index today in golf that allows you to tell everybody what level of golf that you're at. Well, we can do that in tennis. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to do that in tennis. Now, 
with time, we can also develop a handicap system, right? So it allows you to play with people that aren't necessarily at your level, but that's the next step, right? Uh, and of course, that's a little bit more complicated than golf because in golf, you, you don't really compete against your opponent, you compete against the course, right? right. But, but there will be innovations and, and, and simple ways that you can do that. So that's sort of at the essence of this, which is make it accessible, get everybody to rate themselves, get everybody to post scores, and now give you the opportunity to try new play sessions, new opponents, uh, new coaches. You can imagine there's Yelp opportunities here where people can rate coaches and get access to coaches. And, of course, all of this is sort of bridged out of the college game where it's the gold standard for recruiting. Right? I was, so, was going to so, say, but that, that strikes me as, as the most obvious application besides pairing yeah. up recreational players is this will standardize I'm a college coach. This will tell me a lot without my having to, you know, go go to Slovenia or go to Texas yeah, to watch the and, kid. And, and today it's the gold standard already. So, so you know, we have over 2,100 uh, collegiate programs in the U.S. that use UTR, right? And and they use it as a baseline for recruiting. It's the first question they ask and they look at with every player because it allows you to compare the Croatian player with the ITF player with the USTA player. And so suddenly um, you have that opportunity to say, gosh, you know, here, based on the results, I don't have to think about a Croatian national ranking versus a NorCal sectional ranking. Rankings tell a story, but they don't tell the whole story, right? UTR allows them now to, to literally rank and rate the, those recruits. Um, and so because it's become the gold standard for them, they can look at different pathways. It now means that juniors aren't looking at their rankings. They're looking at their UTRs. So this whole next generation of people that are coming into the game and competing in the game, they're saying, what's my UTR? What's my UTR? And so that's emerged, and that now is solidified. Um, and so what we're doing now is we're going to say, okay, great. Now let's go out and collaborate more broadly with federations across the globe. Let's keep getting all of their match results in from tournament players. And we're currently getting over, we have over 40 federations we're working with now uh, to get data. We're expanding that um, quickly, and we're in conversations. Now, that allows us to get all tournament players, so ATP, WTF, uh, WTA, ITF, all the way down. Now what we want to do is we want to make this accessible to the, to, to the average Joe, you know, the 90% of players out there that don't play tournaments, and say, how can this help that player? How can this help player find, find new opportunities, understand their level, and ultimately, from there, you can also then say, gosh, I can create a clinic now with players at the same level. I can go into my community as a club pro, and I have four players here. Well, guess what? I can find 10 others for good match sessions. I can create a tournament of people at the same level where they have competitive matches where they don't get their butt kicked. And that's part of the problem with tournaments. You go to a tournament, you really don't know what's going to happen. Um, and most of the time, they aren't fun matches because you either win decisively or you right, lose decisively. Right. Give and us a so, sense of the range, though. If uh, I mean, if if I'm a good recreational player, I'm X. If I'm a college aspirant, a college recruit, I'm Y. If I'm Roger Federer, I'm Z. What what sort of range are we talking about? Yeah, so so the range runs here from one to sixteen and a half, right? And so if you think about that continuum, right? If you're sort of a beginner, you're you're down in the low levels here. When you start getting into college, you start you know D three women probably starts around three and a half, right? When you start talking about men's college, you're probably around seven, right? And then you work your way up from there. The top of the college game gets you up to about twelve and a half, and that by the way, and maybe even a little higher. Sorry, that's more like thirteen and a half. Top of the college game overlaps with a women's pro game, 
Okay. Okay. Um, right. And 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 so you you could what you could do now is let's say you went in and we actually built a, we just relaunched a website where you can go in and even though you're not playing tournaments we we've done this thing called UTR range and you can go in and you can sort of say hey based on my history of what I've played and this and that what's my range you know it's not an exact accurate UTR it's just a series of questions and then from there there's actually a nice little download grid that you can look at that actually we've mapped the pros in the men's game women's game with collegiate players with national juniors boys and girls sectional juniors boys and girls and then even the ntrp which is the usta adult league and you can go in and you say hey here's my number now let me look down across these various types of players pro college junior and adult leagues and say hey where do I fall? Do I fall in the middle and the low end of any particular group? And typically each of these group bridges across a couple of numbers, right? So whether it's sort of a bell curve, as you can imagine. And suddenly now I'm like, okay, if I'm a 10 and a half, that means I'm right in the middle of the women's futures tour. I'm, I'm right in the sweet spot of, of, of sort of men's division two. I am uh, at the national level of boys, 16, probably in the second, um, a little bit low half. I'm the high end of the national boys, 14s, right? Uh, girls, 18s. I'm sort of the high at the national level. And, and you can sort of work your way down. And so if you're in a club and you're saying, look, I should be able to compete here. And what we want to do then is we also have an event management, tournament management system that we're going to give the clubs that say, look, instead of just creating these tournaments where people get whooped, what if we actually had everybody in club with a UTR? Now start creating events for people at the same level to play. And let's create a pyramid in your club that says based on UTR. It has nothing to do with age or gender, right? It's basically number one is XYZ person, and then you literally have a pyramid down. And if you want to challenge up and down based on UTR, you know, it doesn't matter. That's how I grew up in Europe. We had a club like that where I literally had a pyramid, and you came in, and it was color-coded whether you were male, female, or a junior. And then all you had was just a little dial on the pyramid, and you could challenge up or down. And you had the opportunity to sort of you know, improve your status in the club in the pyramid. Sure. And it was across age and gender. And, and that way, you actually develop your game much better. You see a different ball. You mm. see a different type of spin. Uh, you become a better tennis player. I think it's one of the reasons the European players actually have, have moved ahead of the U.S. system because we're so relegated down to age and gender. And, and playing style and, and even exactly. surface. But, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I suppose the next obvious step is if you're uh, – if you're an eight and I'm a six, that's going to equate to a certain differential where you and I can play each other and there's a handicap and maybe that's starting every other game with a 15 lovely, you know, whatever it is. I'm sure there's a way to calibrate yeah, it so I, we can equalize that. And, and, and look, people will come up with versions of this and we'll have lots of time. I, I think, And I think it's a secondary thing. I, I think even right now, the opportunity for you, and you can think about where you live and you know, I don't know how much tennis you played, John, but 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 you know I, I can tell you I had a I had a kid who was in college and he was a junior here in, in in Palo Alto. He had maybe six or seven people he could play with. I knew for a fact there was 250 players at his level within 20 miles of here. I just didn't know who they were. Right, now they were right, ex-college right, players. Right. They were, you know, they were current D1 women's players. You know, and he was a top junior, right? Uh, but but like I just. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know how to connect to them. So even just the opportunity to find people at your same level, I mean, you can massively expand on And that's before you even start creating a handicap system, exactly. right, that allows you to play across levels. Do you, did you see the Boris Becker documentary by any chance on Netflix? You know, I have not just, seen that, no. Just just came out. Um, it's, yeah. It's, we, we, yeah. Can, we can have uh, 
film review discussion another time. But at one point in, in the film, he gets he's a junior and he gets demoted in the German system. And the big punishment is that he has to play with the girls. And so I don't know. He's, he's probably about fifteen, maybe fourteen, and he's got to play with Steffi. And there's a great yeah. photo. You know, she's you know whatever oh, she is, wow. eighteen months younger. But how? But this is all a long-winded way to. Uh, how, how do you do? intergender comparisons how, how would boris becker in whatever it was yeah. 1983 have figured out whether he was a better or worse player than, than steffi graf yeah well so, so what's already happening right now is that uh the utr today it, it, it's a singular line and so all the dots connect based on overlapping results right so what does that mean that means that today we don't have serena playing the men's pros right because that format isn't created but we do have in the usda sections and 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 other places there are events now that are doing utr events whereby juniors are competing across gender we even just had an event at harvard which based on a utr we had a women pro player, we had a top uh, junior player, and we had top uh, collegiate players competing in the same format. So today there is connectivity in, in the rating. Okay? Now, the more people compete within a particular data set, the more reliable and refined the algorithm gets, of course. Right? Right. And so today in the collegiate side and the junior side, it's terrific. I think at the low level of juniors up to boys and girls, it's pretty accurate. About 55 60% of the time, the women at comparable UTRs actually win. Now, then the obvious question becomes, now we're sitting up here at the high levels of the women game. How does that compare? I was, was going to say, you, you know the obvious question, the top-line question you're uh, going to get for this whole time is, let's, let's yeah. actually use some data yeah. here. Where, where's Serena Williams ranking yeah. relative yeah. to men? And, 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 you know, I, and I, 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 you, were in, you were in our meeting in New York, right, where Brett sort of teed up that question, and, right. and why is a Serena a 13-5 and, and Roth is a 16 and change? Right. And so the answer is today they are there because of the data points and the cross-correlations lower down in the juniors and the collegiate game, and so they've built up from there. We haven't had enough cross-gender play at the high end of the game that we can really make that determination. But what we have now is really a method and a formula by, well, you know what? We're not going to be dramatically off here. Right? And now we suddenly have an opportunity for women who are emerging on the futures tour as an example say, look, you have a choice now. You can play a local UTR money tournament in Boston for like ten grand, or you can fly out to Asia and play a futures and spend a gazillion dollars on it. Right. And, and, and suddenly now we create up the opportunity. And by the way, that's a pretty interesting format for spectators to see a woman's pro tour playing like a collegiate player playing a top junior, right? And, and, and then what is the outcome? Now, there are a lot of people ahead of Serena on the men's side today, right? And even at the top uh, level of, of, of collegiate and even some top juniors. Now, are they better than Serena? I mean, look, put them on a national stage at the U.S. Open. You know, gosh, good luck, right? I mean, that's a tough venue, right? right. Um, but I think what we have now, we have, we have a format by which we can start creating this competition. And, and this is not about, gosh, is this a person better than that person? It's saying, look, this is just data. It's just data based on results. And the more results we get in here, the more refined and, and accurate this will become. And today, it's very accurate in collegiate tennis and junior tennis. Um, and for that matter, even within the women's pro game as well as within the men's pro game, it's very accurate. It will become more accurate as we get more cross-gender play. What, what about the very highest echelon? I mean, if you look at the, the ATP rankings yeah. right now, yeah. you know, yeah. Djokovic isn't in the top 10, Murray isn't in the top 10, Raonic yeah. I don't think is in the top 20, yeah. I- injuries and pregnancy and 
reduced yeah. schedules obviously distort that math. How how do especially injuries? How does that yeah. express itself with yeah. UTR? So, so, so the way the way the UTR rating works, it, it it looks at those three elements I mentioned briefly for. So it looks at your history of matches, last thirty matches over twelve months. Right. It looks at the strength of your opponents that you played. So if you compete better and win against higher-rated players, you will get a boost, right? Um, so th- those are two fundamental things. And then the other thing it looks at, it looks at the score. So it's actually games won as opposed to the match won. So unlike the ATP where it's a progression through a draw, you retain your points for 12 months, you're injured, you start dropping off, right, uh, unless you get the exemption. Here, what we then look at now is, okay, so who's going to skew differently in a UTR rating than an ATP ranking? Right. And what comes out is some pretty interesting things. So first and foremost is Serena, even though she's been out for 11 months, she's still going to be number one UTR. Right. Where she's 22 in the WTA. Right. Now, now, is that an accurate reflection intellectually, emotionally, that she's still the best player in the world? I think everybody would say she's the best player in the, in the world until we see otherwise. Right now, she happens to be coming off a pregnancy. You know, I think she just dropped out of the Australian Open. She's right. not quite back to her fitness level. She wants to be at. She played the EXO that you saw, right? But I think intellectually, emotionally, she's categorically the number one player in the world. And the fact that she's 22 in the world is just because ranking points have dropped off. Now, we can look at Andy Murray and we can look at Djokovic as other examples. They've now dropped out of the top 10. We have them as five and six in the UTR rating based on their results and based on their matches and not based on the artificial dropping off of points that they can't defend because they're injured, right? Um, and then we get some other folks that skew like a little abnormal. So, for example, we have um, Busta. You know, we talked a little bit about this on tennis show. We, you know, he's he's top ten, right. he's number ten on the ATP, right? Right. We only have him as thirty-two. So why do we have him as thirty-two? Well, it's really simple. He only run he won one event in twenty seventeen in Astro, right? And then he got really far. He got the two semis, right? Indian Wells and U.S. Open. But he never really beat any right, s- super right. high-ranked players. And so because of the strength of his schedule and because he, 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 you know, he, he, he got really far and he got those ATP points by virtue of those major events, kudos to him, fantastic. But he's going to skew a little lower for us. And so there you're sort of saying, hey, he over, overranks a little bit. Another interesting one is Jack Sock. Right, so Jack Sock is number eight in the world now. We have him like 15 UTR. So why is that? Well, he did great in Indian Wells. He won Del Rey. He had terrible slam tournaments throughout the year. Right. He never really beat any of the top ten guys. Okay, he got into the back end of the year at a phenomenal Paris, but he didn't really beat any top players in Paris, if you remember, right? And then he got into the ATP Finals. So he racked up a bunch of points with some wonderful wins, right? But if you look at the consistency of his performance over the year, that did not put him in to the top echelons. Now, we, look at, we could also then break down uh, Jack and say, well, what if we just looked at him over the last three weeks or six weeks? You know, and that's the other thing we can do with the math. And then you start seeing something amazing, like David Goffin, as an example, right? If you look at David Goffin, and, and what we're going to start doing is including Davis Cup matches now too, right? David Goffin would skew like top five UTR. Right, based on his year-end performance, if you just look over the last you know, five to six weeks, right? I mean, the guy's, the guy's on fire. And so that's what UTR also allows us to do, is to look at trends and who's really emerging. The last thing I will say is that it also gives you a boost if you win decisively. So what you will see in UTR is that when you have somebody who's just on fire, 
right. and winning decisively, you will skew higher. And, and there is an artifice in here that says if you're willing challengers. So, for example, uh, Krajinovic, right? He right. skews really high in UTR right now. The guy's never gotten past the second round in a slam, right? He's, he's um, the king of, he's uh, won, yeah, exactly. Right, but he's won nine challengers. Right. And then you say, look, so he skews really high on UTR. Is that really defensible? Well, maybe, maybe not. There's a lot to be said for confidence. So the guy comes in, and suddenly he goes on a tear, and he gets through Paris. Now, did he beat super high-ranked players? No. And, of course, he lost early now here in Australia, but it's a guy to watch, right? But he will skew higher than perhaps he's defended at the, against top players. And so, like everything else, you know, you just got to understand sort of, hey, how does this system work here? And we'll continue to refine this with more and more results. But ultimately, what we're going to create is the analytics breakout that allows us to say, okay, what are some interesting trends that are occurring here? What's really happening? And so with Tennis Channel, we'll look at the full 12 months. We'll look at three months. We'll look at one month. And we're going to start looking at surface UTRs. Right? And Here's... so then from there, you'll be able to see some, some neat things that hopefully comes out of it. Um, you know, Delpo is a great example, John. Right? Delpo is somebody right. who always skews better in UTR than he does in the rankings. Right. Why? Because... Guy doesn't play enough. He's not always healthy. And then when he does play, I mean, the guy's the giant killer, right? And and so you know, he's won the Open. You know, he's won Davis Cup. You know, he's he's got medals in the in the Olympics. I mean, you know, the, that's the last guy you want to run into when you're playing in a draw, right? And if he's healthy, right? That guy just scares you. Tell me um, whether it's you know this 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 session the Supreme Court will hear a. Sports gambling case. There's all sorts of. I mean, what what is yeah. the data play here? I mean, what what are the apart from this is fantastic for the recreational player. It gives us a new way to assess yeah. the very best players in the world. But what if you're if you're taking this out and seeking investors? What's what's sort of the what what's the com and the dot com here? What's what's the uh, what's sort of the the commercial incentive here? How do we build a business? Yeah, exactly. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. So, so, you know, what, what we want to do here is we're obviously supporting, you know, broadcast and television and giving some analysis that, that, that at, at the core of all of this is not our business, right? That's helping Tennis Channel, creating a vernacular. Uh, we want to now develop a series of products that we can make available for free to every player on the planet, right? And the recreational player. And that allows somebody to come in, post your score, get a UTR, and then from there, find other player opportunities and develop your game. I think what we want to do then is we want to create an engagement platform, you know, a little bit of social uh, networking, a little bit of matching people up, a little bit of an opportunity for you to, to find things, uh, a little bit of opportunity for rate coaches and everything else. And in the end, what this becomes then is an engagement, a digital engagement platform. And then what we will do is we will have a freemium model, as they call it, which is, hey, look, we're going to offer you something for free of value. And then now here are a series of other things that you may have an interest in purchasing. Right. And whether that's a subscription to something or whether that is an opportunity to say, you know what, I'd love to buy X, Y, Z or I'd love to you know, get a, uh, a specific lesson with X, Y, Z in this geography. We can then start teeing up other opportunities for people to to then uh, develop their game and purchase products and services. So this is largely a free model that builds around scale. And then once we have scale, we'll say, hey, what are other things that we now can bring to bear? We do not have a destination site. We do not have a singular digital platform in tennis. Um, tennis.com is the closest thing we have, but as you know, that's very news-oriented, right? Right. right. Uh, and so today, uh, we don't have, uh, we don't haven't really had technology benefiting the average tennis player. Uh, you go to Amazon to shop. You go to 
you know, tennis.com to get your news. You right, know, you right. have no place to go to find a coach. No, I, I would say no if place. I want to, uh, if, if I want to find MMA competition, if, if I want to <laughs> enter a jiu-jitsu tournament, I, I have more data at my hands and I have uh, a more go-to destinations exactly. than I do if I want exactly. to go hit balls in Seattle. But let, let me ask you, um, I mean, it, it, it seems to me tennis sometimes gets in, in the, to issues where people come into tennis and they don't really know the sport and they don't know the landscape yeah. and they have great resumes and credentials and broad perspectives, yeah. but you really kind of yeah. need to know, you know, Indian Wells is a different tier than Estoril. I mean, you sort of need the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have, I mean, you're, you're a tennis guy. You have ATP yeah. points and you've um, yeah. made a name for yourself in this sport, but you also have experience with other sports and ownership stakes across other sports. Yeah. I'm sort of curious, and you, you sort of have this, the rare person that has a sweet spot where you have tennis inside knowledge, but also exposure elsewhere. Where, where do you see the sport right now? Uh, I, I, and, and, well, that's a, that's a very open-ended question, right? I, I think that right. the sport is in transition, right, for sure. I mean, I, I think we see a lot of new innovation trying to emerge, whether it's technology and play site, whether things like we are doing, uh, whether uh, and we see on the event side, we see the emergence of World Team Cup, we see Labor Cup, uh, we see players trying to figure out, gosh, you know, how am I going to survive in this new world? We see the ATP shrinking, right? There's so many changes occurring because people are trying to innovate. They're trying to improve. They're trying to make this a more sustainable long term. We see the USTA, as an example, making a huge initiative now into trying to get more kids to play tennis right. uh, with their net generation. So I think we're at a really interesting stage where, you know what? People recognize that if we want to support this game, we want to sustain this game and ultimately grow the game. There's some change needed, both from a, a consumer experience to make it more exciting and engaging, as well as uh, to get these kids who now are living in a digital world where most sports are tapering down, right? Um, you know, we, we've invested in mixed martial arts and esports. Those are monster fast growing businesses, right, in terms of interest and, right. and overall. Uh, they offer something different, a little bit more dynamic. Most other sports are flat to down. And so, Tennis is a sport right now, you know, it's been a traditional sport. It really hasn't evolved in terms of what's happening on the court. And I think it hasn't taken advantage of technology the way that some other sports have um, in, in terms of connectivity and some of the things I've talked about. So that's why we think, gosh, we've looked at tennis for a long time to find opportunities to support and invest in. Most things I've done in tennis have been philanthropic with the USTA player development and with the foundation. Right. But now and we've looked at events, but everything has been so fragmented and siloed. So let's break down the barriers. Let's open up the ability for people to connect uh, and use technology and take this into the next age of technology. It, it's it's probably inappropriately crass, but are you are you, are you buy selling holding on tennis? I mean, it's I, I feel like I mean, I think a, a lot of what you're yeah. saying resonates with the sport. I mean, on the, on the one hand, it, it hasn't particularly embrace technology. On the other hand, other sports would kill for this kind of global footprint. The participation I, 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 rates I, I, of sale, I mean, the U.S. Open's great. I mean, there's sort of a counterpoint to every point, good and bad. But where, where are you kind of macro on this? Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't long on tennis. Right. I, I think, I think, look, we got a $6 billion industry, right? I think when you start talking about something like the U.S. Open, that's not really a tennis event. That That's a New York it's mega hospitality. media event, yeah. right? right? Yeah, exactly, right? But but I think I think I think what we haven't had 
is is the disruption and use of technology to reach people to make the experience better. Um, we haven't seen any of that. All this technology that emerged in the 90s and early 2000s to try to connect people and make this a better experience, it hasn't emerged. And part of it is because people have been so siloed and so fragmented in the game that the honest answer, John, is that people have lacked the resources to be able to say, you know what, I, I, I have the money, I have the commitment to really change something here. And I also have the know-how and the people to do it. I think that's changing now. So, I, 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 look, I think tennis is one of those rare things. It's a lifetime sport. And if you can bring somebody into the game at age eight and they can play till they're 80, it's healthy, it's fitness. Look at something new. Look at one of the innovations that have cardio tennis, right? Right. Cardio tennis emerged. There's over, there, there are, I think it's something like four or five times as many, uh, maybe that's a little high, maybe four times as many members of cardio tennis as there are as the USTA members. Why is that? Is that right? Yes. There's like oh, 2.2 2. 2 million members, oh, wow. I think, in cardio tennis, oh, wow. right? There's a dramatic amount. Of, why? Because suddenly you're like, you know what? I want fitness. I want health, right? So people crave the opportunity to stay healthy. People are, you know, looking for ways to maintain health and fitness and wellness. Um, I think what we want to do is just say, hey, make it easier for them. Make it easier for them to find people. Make it easier for them to have play sessions. And the USTA will ultimately evolve their model here to support kids in these communities uh, to say, look, how do we get more rackets in the kids? How do we keep them from playing a, a tournament as their first event that sort of turns them away from the game because it was a bad experience? How do we make it better? And, and that's technology. That's innovation. So I, I'm long on the game in that sense. Um, you know, I think, I think there are challenges within the game for sure, you know, um, pro game and down through the game and, 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 and that next generation of people that want to transition into the pro game. But I also think it's healthy that we shrink down the game a little bit. We make it more of a pro sport that's maybe a little bit smaller. You know, ATP wants to brand that product a little bit more. we got to get some of the, you know, the data and the gambling out of the game. Right. Well, shrinking you know, the, I I would say shrink, shrinking the sport goes a long way there. You know, Roger Federer has yeah. no incentive to uh, Absolutely. tank games when you're ranked 1,500 and – you, you, yeah. you can make more for a double fault than for winning the tournament. Uh, the incentives yeah. change, but um, but this is this is uh, this is a going concern. I mean, this is UTR. People can log on, and at the Australian Open, Tennis Channel will be referring to this. This is this is up and running. Yeah, and so, so what we did was, you know, you saw our announcement, right? I mean, what, what, our, our our approach on this was, look, if we want to change the game, we want to we want to bring in major constituents that can support that mission. And so part of that is media partners, and 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 with Tennis Channel, we got a wonderful partner there. You know, we brought in others like Mark Hurd and Oracle, and technology folks who are really committed to supporting collegiate tennis and the broader game. And Oracle and Mark are doing wonderful things. We brought in knowledgeable people from other sports, Major League. Baseball and the Dodgers about understand. Hey, how do we use analytics and fan engagement experiences? Um, and then we brought together a, a pretty strong capital base as well, and sophisticated investors like Ken Howard of Silver Lake, and they own IMG. So right. I think we got a pretty good group together here. And then the other approach we're taking is, you know what? We're not here to disrupt the industry. We're here to partner with the industry and every constituent of the industry and say, hey, how do we help fortify your value proposition? So whether you're a federation or an association or whether you're a media company or whatever you may be, hey, if we just eliminate inefficiency and recreate connectivity and create options for people, players, organizers, club pros, hey, that can help everybody. 
we don't have to build our business by disenfranchising others. We don't have to build our business by cannibalizing others. We can, we can grow this game and support this game by taking out inefficiency, right? Uh, and then creating value for people, that people that have a marketplace and they can opt in. And they say, yeah, you know what? I like that. I want to be part of that. I'll pay a buck or two for that. And you've, That's what we want to do. Uh, no, and it also seems that this taps into the relentless global nature of the sport. Uh, I mean, you, this, this works anywhere in the world, which you don't often see with, uh, with tennis innovation. Um, yeah, we're seeing a tremendous push right now. Um, you know, obviously, there, there's so many small nations whose federations are capital constrained, right? And, and, and so they have these sometimes wonderful talent that emerges, and then they get to be 14, 15, 16, or 17, and then, gosh, where do they go? Right. They can't right. go on the future store without the money. And so part of that is, you know, that, and that's where this collegiate approach has just been so interesting, right? Where, gosh, all these federations suddenly see an opportunity to onboard players into the collegiate development program, which is an extraordinary system, right? So, so And that's part of why the coaches have really leaned in on that. And then, of course, you take the system, you get them established, and you turn and say, wow, well, let's put it into the clubs. Yeah, you know, exactly. Just like it worked at the high end of the game. Right. Now, if everybody know what level they're at in the club, that, that can only be good, right, in the sense that, hey, what level am I at? Find more hits, create fun events, create engaging things. Let's do special clinics into our club where we bring other players in on a weekend. We do a round-robin kind of thing. It doesn't have to be like a 16-draw, 12 girls only, right? All comers. Like the old French system. Remember yeah, exactly. That? Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last last question. You you were selected to, uh, I, I imagine in your twenties to play Davis Cup for uh, for Denmark. You, Torben Ulrich, Carolyn Wozniacki, who has the highest UTR score? Oh gosh. Well, so first off, I was selected to the team. I never played because I got hurt, and and so 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 details, just to correct details. the record there. Now my father was a longtime Davis Cupper, and he played with Torben and Jurgen. Um, I, so I, I, gosh, that's a loaded question. Uh, I, I think right now, obviously Caroline Wozniak is sort of up around 13. Um, I think Torben probably in his heyday might've been a little bit higher. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tor- Torben was a, was a, was a formidable player, uh, Wimbledon and the like. Um, so, you know, it's obviously a different era and different equipment and, but, you know, if you caught Torben on a day after 2 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> when he'd finally gotten up and was, he'd combed the hair, yeah. you know, I, I think he'd be, a, he'd be a tough match for uh, Caroline, that's for sure. <laughs> we, we stop at nothing to plug uh, Danish tennis. Um, this, is, uh, this is great. We look forward to uh, just sort of seeing where this goes. We'll be using it on Tennis Channel during the Australian Open. And, um, and congrats. I mean, I, I think uh, we – Tennis is finally recognizing that that innovation can be good without eroding tradition, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see where this goes. Yeah. But it sure makes a lot of sense to hear you describe it. Yeah, well, thank you, John, and thanks for your interest. I mean, I I think you know we're just getting started here. I mean, I I think this is still early days, but we're committed, and you're going to see a lot of new product come out and. Yeah, myutr.com is, uh, you know, people can register there and they can get updated and see as we continue to put things out that hopefully can help people uh, enjoy the game and develop the game. That's ultimately what we want to perpetuate. No, it sounds great. We're going to link, uh, we, we, we will link that on the site and uh, we'll stay stay in touch. We'll, we'll keep posted with this. Thanks, That's great. John. Thanks, stay Mark. Warm. All right. Thanks to our guest, Mark Leslie. Again, we encourage you to, uh, to, to check out... Um, to again check out this universal tennis rating system, UTR Tennis. Um, interesting t- 
to see the possibilities here. Um, again, this will put a lot more emphasis on games. It will put a lot more emphasis on matches played, but it makes an awful lot of sense to hear Mark describe it. And again, uh, we sort of give an automatic wink to uh, any technology innovation in this sport that sometimes seems quite hungry for it. So thanks to Mark for uh, spending some time and explaining uh, the startup. Thanks, as always, to our uh, tennis podcast doyen, Jamie Lasanti. We will have Mary Carrillo on in a matter of days to tee up the Australian Open 2018. Meanwhile, everyone, have a good weekend. If you are on the East Coast, stay warm, and we will talk again soon. All right, thanks for listening. We'll be right back.